Blog Talk Radio. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Trundlebed Tales, the podcast about Laura Ingalls Wilder, historic foodways, one-room schools, and other social history. This is Sarah Utah, the host and creator of Trundlebed Tales. Find us around the web under Trundlebed Tales and on your social favorite social media platform. If you listen or just have an account on iTunes, please leave positive feedback because that helps people find the show. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is episode nine, Dean Butler on Smet Event 2017. And I'm just going to check here. Uh, I got two calls exactly at the same time. Dean, is this you? Uh, one of them's me. Okay, there you are. Okay, good. Uh, before we get going, I'm just going to take a minute and do a little housekeeping, and then we'll be back on uh, back with you in just a second, Okay. Sure. Okay. All right. So before we get to Dean, first, just a little housekeeping. And uh, I want to make sure that everybody knows that if you want to call in and ask a question, the number is 714-242-5253. That's 714 714- Two four two five two five three, or you can call in toll free one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. That's toll free one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine, and you can use that uh, to call in to ask a question, or while the show is live, you can use it to listen if you don't want to be streaming by your computer. And I also today wanted to uh, just give a couple quick things about this SMED event that's coming up in July. Now, uh, I have already done an interview with Tessa Flack, who's the director of the museum. So if you're going to go, I would recommend you check that out, too. And for those of you who didn't catch the last episode where I talked about my trip this month out to Keystone, I want to give everybody two heads ups. First, that the main road through Brookings, um, if you take the bypass, it's okay. But if you take the main road that takes you past Walmart and McDonald's and all the restaurants and all the stores in town into the Ag Museum and the Art Museum, that main road is majorly under construction most of the way through Brookings. Now, uh, it's still passable except for where there's a detour, but be aware that might take you a little extra time and you may have to wiggle your way around to get to some place if you're stopping in Brookings. Also, I wanted to let people know that uh, though I have always given them credit for having the best iced tea in DeSmet, Subway has decided they weren't selling enough of it. So um, they are no longer offering iced tea, which means the new best place of iced tea in DeSmet is now the Oxbow Restaurant. So I wanted to make sure everybody knew about those two things. And now uh, we're going to go ahead and go back to Dean. Welcome to the show, Dean. 
<laughs> Thanks, Sarah. It's good to know about uh, iced tea and DeSmet for the summer. Well, it really is if you're going to be spending a couple days there. Oh, I guess I'm such a I'm such a diet Pepsi person that I uh, that I, I I guess I wouldn't pick iced tea as my first thing. But you know, if you're an iced tea person, you got to know where to get it. So good for you for passing on that information. Yeah, you really need it. Well, I guess I will have to watch for diet Pepsi next time so I can can give you the update <laughs> on that. I think I think diet Pepsi is a. Uh, well, actually, I'm trying to think if it's a if it's a Subway product, but uh, or you know owned by the same umbrella company. But that's not what we're here to talk about. No, <laughs> there'll be plenty to drink and to smell, I'm sure. Yes. Well, uh, first off, I'm very positive that anybody listening knows who you are. But just on the off chance, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself to get us going? Well, you know my my connection to Little House began. Uh, Boy, 1979. So what? Eight at 38 years ago, um, with uh, my casting to play uh, Elmanza Wilder in the Little House of the Prairie television series, and I have been uh, very involved with all things uh, Little House ever since then. So um, it's been an amazing association in my life, and really one of the one of the great gifts of my life. So. Um, you know, the show continues to, our program continues to touch people in a very positive way. And, you know, people love the show. They love the books. I mean, we know some people love one more than the other, uh, but there are others who love them both and, you know, equally. And, and so, you know, I just feel, I mean, anybody who's aware of the series, um, you know, any of us who are a part of it, we become sort of a, uh, a visual, you know, a personification of those people for, you know, people who read the books. And uh, so it's, it's sort of nice to be able to touch both television viewers and book readers with, um, you know, with our portrayals in Little House. And um, so it's, it's been a great thing in my life. Well, it, it, you certainly are correct. I know just from people I've talked to of the, people around the world who feel like their life is better because of the little house TV show. So uh, I think you are 100% on target there. Um, Now, before we get into talking about the event, the event, uh, I thought maybe we'd just ask a couple general questions that are things I know people really like to hear. So uh, first off, uh, why don't you just briefly tell us how you got into acting and how you got cast on the show? Well, the beginnings of my interest in acting happened when I was in high school um, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I remember going to see a high school production of My Fair Lady uh, at the uh, high school where I attended. And I was so floored by, uh, by the experience of watching a young actor play Henry Higgins that I just knew that I had to do that at some point I had to, you know, I had to try that. It was just sort of thrilling. And I just stepped into it pretty, you know, pretty quickly at that point. And, um, you know, started, started trying to do things in, uh, in high school. I think my first, my first thing in high school as an actor was, uh, this member in a production of a mattress. And it was just really great fun, you know? And, um, totally enjoyed it and then went off to college and, you know, started doing plays and then started doing commercials in San Francisco during the school year and during the summers. And, 
and after I guess after my junior year in college, I was cast in a movie the week for CBS called uh, called Forever, which is the Judy Bloom based on the Judy Bloom novel called Forever, which was a pretty racy adolescent novel at the time. But Judy Bloom was a pretty forward thinking writer and really sort of wanted to lay things out in a very um, direct way for young people. And um, so I did that. And that that work led directly to a whole bunch of auditions, but specific house audition, because I, I think actually I was told something like forever and um as a little 15 year old which is exactly what was aimed at yeah, that age group was exactly what it was aimed towards and uh i think led to um led to those auditions and um and then after a whole series of auditions this was you know this was another year later after forever but um during my kept going back and forth to Los Angeles and cautioning. And two weeks before uh, I was scheduled to graduate, I was hired and uh, in ceremonies, celebrated my 23rd birthday and started work on Little House. Um, you know, on, I always remember this, on Monday, May 22nd, 1979, started working on Little House. And it's just been, um, you know, it was the start of something I never could have imagined would be as all-encompassing as it's been. You've really been associated with a lot of uh, classic properties. I mean, Forever was kind of a racy thing when it came out, but now it's really considered a very classic young adult novel. And you were involved yeah. in Little House, of course. You were in uh, the new Gidget Adventures, and you were the yeah. dad on Buffy. So, I mean, yeah. you're just across yeah. the, the whole spectrum of classic American well, I don't know if Buffy's quite literature, but okay, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? What I what I Sarah, what I love about it is that I have had the opportunity to be associated with iconic young female characters. Um, you know, obviously Laura Ingalls Wilder or Laura Ingalls Griffin and uh, and Buffy are three iconic American characters from different stages and you know different times in the American. A pop culture um, lexicon, but you know, at different times in my life, I had the opportunity to be to touch all of those, and um, I have felt very blessed by that. You know, it's it's really been a, a great thing for me, and um, I think I look at that. It's sort of a tribute to the way I was raised. Um, you know, you just sort of evolve and you evolve in a particular way when you're raised a particular way. And I think I was in some ways, uh, in many ways, prepared unwittingly <laughs> for uh, these kinds of experiences. And um, so it's been great. Uh, you know, I, I thank my parents for, uh, for, for sort of making me the guy that could be those guys. Yeah, that would be a perfect place to put in the Rose Wilder Lane quote about if she hadn't had the the sense to pick these particular parents, but I don't know it well enough. So we'll just pretend I did that and go on. <laughs> uh, now, uh, not being a primary TV show person, 
one of the things that I really learned when I was um, at Walnut Grove for the big uh, reunion in uh, 2014 was how much people like the cinnamon chicken bit. And <laughs> it's, it's true. I, I really don't quite get that, but um, what what is your take on cinnamon chicken? Well, I've never I, I I've never had it, you know. It's, so I can't I I don't have a I don't have a take on it as a meal, but as a device, <laughs> as a device that uh, that was created or written for this particular episode to make this, uh, you know, to establish this rivalry between Laura and Nellie. Um, which obviously was a, a healthy rivalry throughout. I think that's what people love about it is that, you know, that I think what people love about Laura, or one of the many things they love about Laura is her gumption. You know, she is, Laura did not take any guff off of anybody. And if she felt she was being treated unfairly, she would do something about it. And, uh, and, and it, me that and it, this was very much sort of Michael's sense of humor to do something like this. So I think you know, in so many ways, I've talked about this many times. I feel like Laura Ingalls Wilder and Michael Landon, as different as they were, as people as they were from different times as they lived, would have liked each other very much, would have gotten each other in a big way. Um, totally different kind of a presentation of who they were, obviously. Uh, but I think at their core, I think there's a lot of commonality in the way that they, um, in the way that they thought about family and um, family and values and so on. And I think it just synced up very nicely in the cinnamon chicken story. Um, that was, you know, that was done in in Little House was. Uh, um, I don't think cinnamon cinnamon chicken. This was this was, you know. And sorry, I'm going to catch myself here, but I, you know, I I have no recollection of reading about cinnamon chicken in the books. So no. this, is a, this is a total invention of of Michael's for this, you know, for this scene. But I think it's the kind of thing that Laura would have written about if it had been something that, particularly in the Nelly. Uh, um, ongoing conflict or, you know, those, those, uh, that relationship, you know, that relationship, I think Laura could have very easily been like written a story like that. If it's something like that, had happened. I don't think she would have, if it had happened. And I think that Michael writing it is just, it just feels right in the pocket of where these characters are from the literature and certainly what was established on television. That well, was a long answer. No, that's okay. <laughs> it is an extremely popular topic, and I and yeah, I, yeah. I understand exactly what you're saying about why, but I still don't quite get it. So, if you are a yeah. normal Laura fan, and there's a lot of TV fans, like I think there probably will be at this event, then just be aware: cinnamon chicken's a big deal. <laughs> oh no, it comes up all the time. I mean, I'm always asked. I'm always asked. Uh, you know, do you like cinnamon chicken? And my, you know, my answer is always, uh, I've never had it. And uh, other than other than some version of it on the, um, so I, I know it comes up and it's fun, and I, I'm glad. 
Well, I'll tell you that at least according to the books, and I don't know why they would make this up, but his favorite dish was actually liver and onions. So cinnamon chicken probably would have been a little better. No, (laughs) what was the first part of that? Something in liver and onions, which was actually a very um, common dish at the time. Apparently, liver, liver and onions. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Which I, once you know what the liver does in the body, I don't know how anybody eats it, but I've been told it's very good. So, all right. Well, I think with enough, with enough onions on it, it probably is something that, you know, you can just sort of eat and know that it's, I guess it's very healthy for you. You know, I, my mother never liked onions. They rather, my mother never liked liver. It was, has never been served um, in a, you know, in a, you know, in a family meal, we only had, but not, uh, not, uh, but of course, ever. Okay. Well, um, and then I just wanted to, uh, and, and quickly let everybody know that I'll, that although, all right, this is a new topic, although that it is always pronounced El Monzo in the television, that we have convinced you that what is it in real life? It is Almanzo. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I was uh, through years of, uh, you know, bludgeoning from uh, from fans on this, and it. Well, and I think the, the you know, the final, the final uh, convincer was listening to a little CD that's out there of Laura talking, and where she, and it's what is it, twenty seconds of recorded speech. From Laura, I mean, it's a very tiny amount, less than a minute, certainly, I think. Um, she talks about El Manzo. So that, that sold me. I was, completely, I was completely done at that point. And I always blame Lucy Flippin, who played Eliza Jane, for this mistake, because she is the first person from spoken dialogue. She's the first person who used the name uh, on the set. Um, after you know, in terms of spoken dialogue, and she's the first person, and and no one corrected it. Maybe no one thought to correct it, but no one and did did you know if there was some consideration doing it. Maybe the thought was it's done. We're not that would have been very easy to fix in a take right then, but it wasn't fixed, and um, and maybe that's what Michael thought it was and believed it was, and so that's what we stayed with. But I started getting letters right away about it. And, um, you know, you're mispronouncing this name and it's not what it is. And all the, you know, all the phonetic pronunciation, you know, symbols were being put on this to explain it. And, you know, you read in the books and El Manzur and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's like it's so clear what it needed to be. And just in the dialogue, you know, El Manzo, nice to meet you, Manly. I I don't know how you get that. You know, so there are lots of little clues that we made a mistake, but it wasn't fixed. Melissa Gilbert is not at all interested in the getting it, uh, you know, in the corrections. She is, she has got her story and she's sticking with it. Well, there's something to be said for consistency. Yeah, exactly. No, I get it. I, but I've decided I'm just going to be enlightened about this issue. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's get on to talking a little bit about this, this event that we're doing in DeSmet. So do you do a lot of signing events? 
Um, I generally do some every year. This is sort of a this is sort of a heavy summer because of the 150th birthday um, in in this year of Laura's 150th birthday. I, I think there are probably more of them. I think I'm doing six different events this summer, uh, which you know, is a relatively high number of events. Now that's nothing for Allison Ongren who does six events a week, but um, I don't, I think that's a little facetious, but she does a lot of events. I do, I generally end up doing three or four a year, two or three a year. Um, and because of this year, it's just more and, and I'm happy to do it. You know, I think it's important for all of us to be out there. And I think, you know, we're all, a bunch of us are going to be out, at different events this summer, some at the same events, some at different events, but there's, there's a lot of allows this summer for the cast of allows. And I think it is really nice that so many of the class of the cast are willing to come out and do events and see the fans. still. I know that people really appreciate it. And I think it definitely helps keep attention both uh, on the TV show and on the book. So I'm glad that you're doing it. Well, you know, and, and look, we to to have something that you've been very proud of being a part of be loved by people and have them be so openly um, openly enthusiastic about it. You know, it's a great compliment to all of us, and I think it's as as uh, you know, my wife says to me when you when I go off to these things. Uh, to these events, she said, "Well, you're just you're you're going off for another weekend of adoration, you know." And and there is something wonderful about getting that um, that expression of affection that comes uh, from appearing at these events because people who do come to them are, as you as we all know, are love the program, love the books, love everything that it stands for, and they um, they share that. They share that appreciation, and it's very gratifying. So what is your favorite part of doing one of these events? I think just being in the – I think – well, obviously, it's fun. You know, it's, it's, it's nice to meet people, particularly if they're, if they're sort of – you know, if they're able to be um, – you know, when people connect graciously with you, that's a, you know, that's a really nice thing. And I, I, I'm sort of impressed always by the multi-generational nature of this. You know, it's more than, more than once I've signed a book that was, you know, for a grandmother and a mother and a, and a young daughter. Um, so you see that, you see that multi-generational connection that happens with the program, um, with the, with the books books and the connection to the series. I love that. And I love being in the places, you know, I, I think, um, going to, uh, going to Malone, New York, going to Mansfield, Missouri, uh, where you really get a rich atmosphere of, um, you know, what this was. And of course, DeSmet has that too, because of the whole town and the historic nature of the, of the town itself. Um, you know, when you, when you see these simple places, um, it's it's very you you see the places you look up and you see the you know just the enormous the enormity of the land the space around these places 
the beautiful skies that if you're you know if you see the, the streams the the rivers in the case of um you know in the case of Malone New York or Burke New York you know you feel like you can you feel like you're walking you know you are walking the ground that these people walked on and um we're all able to feel a part of it when we can walk in that space and that's pretty cool so i i like you know it's it's the multi-generational connection in the places themselves. I think that's really the most attractive part of it for me. So do you have a favorite signing story, some uh, different experience that you had uh, at one of these events? Um, You know, unfortunately what happens if you have a, if you have a bad experience at a signing event, that's probably the one that, you know, the, that's probably the one that sticks with you. Um, I do remember, at, at, you know, at, an event years and years ago at a mall in Indianapolis where I was, you know, there were just hundreds and hundreds of people in line. And um, I signed something for, um, I don't know, this young girl, probably 16, well, she was 15, 16 years old. And, and, um, on me, when I stood up to take this picture and I mean, she sort of had to be pulled off. Um, and that was sort of, um, it was a bizarre experience really, it was sort of the first time I'd ever ever felt like I was being quite caught in an assault, Sarah. It wasn't an assault, but it was um it was you know, someone stepping into your personal space in a really aggressive way. And you realize in that I realized in that moment that people feel like they or some people on the extreme and there's this is was a very extreme case has not happened um, in any sort of big way in other times, but there's always that potential for something bizarre to happen because you don't really know what people are going to do. There's a lot of trust that people have to have with each other that everyone's going to be on pretty decent behavior here, but you always have to be aware that there is that possibility that someone's going to go a little sideways. They could go a little sideways and, and behave if it's not quite appropriate, and you sort of have to be prepared to deal with that. Um, I can say that her horrible grow over. You know, in 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 little house places, I have I have not had the experience of being um, um, attacked or assaulted by a little house fan. I think sometimes people can be a little, and I kind of don't blame them. They've come a long way, and they're very insistent on getting a. You know, they've been waiting, and they have a million questions, and they want to ask them all, and and um, and it's a, it's an it's a tough environment to do that because you've got waiting and you know, you can't just stop. You need to be give 
enough time so that people feel like so that you can make a connection with somebody, but you can't stop everything and just go off and spend time with this one person who may have a million questions for you. So it's a delicate balance of um, graciousness and um, and expedience that, you know, allows you to um, feel like you can have contact with everybody, but not be overwhelmed by any one person. But I will say that it seems like at the home sites especially that people do seem to be mostly on their best behavior and very patient. Uh, for, the, oh, yeah. uh, big, for the big cast reunion again, we were standing in the rain all morning and people were just, oh, well, this is what we got to do. So it, it's – Yeah, right. Uh, right. Um, so – what is the most unusual thing that you've signed at one of these events? I'm always surprised when people want you to sign them, you know, when they, when they, when they want you to sign their shoulder or they want you to sign their arm, or they want you to sign their hand or because it's, I guess I guess it's you know it, if you're looking for something that's going to be a more permanent thing that's obviously not what's going to do it. Um, it becomes very you know maybe it's another there's another high that's coming off of that you know just having someone you know making contact with you to sign their shoulder or whatever. But um, so I think that's probably the you know signing body parts is probably. Um, unusual stuff um but you know people what i what i don't like or what's you know sort of not great for me is when someone walks up and puts a sort of a torn piece of paper in front of you or a napkin or a you know something like that paper napkin that's already been sort of crinkled up and ruined and you know if you're going to do this uh, my preference is to sign you have to sign a book to sign a picture to sign a DVD to sign something that someone's going to keep because mm-hmm. um, because I know I've had I've asked people to sign because I didn't have anything else and of course that's what happens I get it people don't have anything else so they ask you to sign anything but it's it's not it's not a you know a, for, for for me, it's not terribly satisfying to sign a torn piece of paper uh, just because I think what's going to happen to that piece of paper. And really, you know, that's up to them, and I'm just offering a signature, and so it's fine. And it, you know, it shouldn't, but I would much prefer to sign a book or a DVD or a CD or a picture or something like that. Um, and the occasional body part's fine too. <laughs> well, um, it, for the cement, it looks like you guys are going to um, mostly be having um, – I'm sorry, I'm trying to bring up the schedule, and it's being stupid. Okay, it looks like that you're – That's good. Uh, Friday Thank you for telling because oh. I don't know what the schedule is, so you go, oh. please tell me, yeah. Oh, well, it is on uh, the discoverlaura.org website, and you have to click on birthday event, <laughs> which is what it didn't want to do, but I got it up now. Uh-huh. So um, your Friday and Saturday is going to be uh, pretty much the same schedule, though they said you're going to probably change up a little bit the topic. 
Um, so uh, do you, you're going to start off with a presentation with Allison, and then yeah. there's going to be periods of signing on and off the rest of the day, I think. And then you've sure. got a presentation sure. by yourself at 1.30. So uh, have you been working on those yet, or are we going to have something interesting to, to see? You know, my, uh, my feeling has always been the best, you know, while I certainly, uh, well, I certainly sometimes think about broad topics, but, you know, I, I really, I like to focus on what I know about Laura that is more, or what, what I know about the Little House experience that's the most, um, that's mine. You know, and what's mine in the Little House experience is my work on the television series. And so there are certainly people who are far better prepared to talk about Laura's history and Laura's Laura's process than I am. So what I can talk about is my experience on the television program. And then after some brief conversation or sharing of that um, and how I felt about it, that's fine. And look, there's going to be lots of questions that I've heard for years, but they're asked, people are asking these questions. It's their question. It's important to them, and I'm happy to answer it. And hopefully, you know, I can bring some, some humor and spontaneity to it and make it fun for people, and, and it works. And um, so that's, you know, all the presentation I do at these events coming out of personal life with the program and uh, uh, that is just in my head and it's floating around in there and I maybe have a few notes, but, but basically I'm just going to talk about that. And uh, it's very, it's turned into a very satisfying approach to doing these kinds of, uh, these kinds of talks. Well, we always enjoy it. You always do a real nice job when you're talking. So I'm sure everyone will enjoy these too. I hope so. (laughs) Uh, and just I want everybody, if you're planning to go, definitely go and check the schedule. And just uh, for a couple things um, besides the schedule, be aware that there's going to be a $6 charge per item signed uh, for Dean and Allison. Uh, and uh, let's see, I don't, I, I think that is uh, going to be about uh, um, across the road kind of from where the, uh, surveyor's houses, and that you should be able to hear the speech even if you are getting a signature over from uh, the other group of people, which is uh, Bill Anderson, Judy Thompson, who's the artist behind the cover of Pioneer Girl, and Nancy Copel, mm-hmm. who's the editor of the South Dakota State Historical Society and has been heading up the Pioneer Girl project. So uh, I think it hopefully will work out really well, and it should be a fun time. Oh, and the photos are going to, um, they're, they're not going to try and keep down the number of photos during signing because they want you to come to the photo event, which is then on Sunday. Aha. Uh-huh. Good for that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, uh, so we got a few minutes here left, and people always want to know. Uh, if you had, well, well, if cast members have much to do with other cast members, so do you see the rest of the cast very much? 
you know, we get together at these kinds of events in small groups and, you know, in 2014 was probably the largest gathering of cast members um, in one place that we've had in a long time, simply because of the nature of the 40th anniversary of the premiere of the series. And so a bunch of us were in New York and we did other appearances in other places. Um, but, you know, smaller groups of us get together much more often. And uh, I mean, I think, you know, in terms of the, we hadn't had a gathering, 2014 gathering, uh, God, I would say probably, you know, probably 10 years before that was the, we had, and we were in Tombstone, which of us were there for an event. Uh, so uh, the other thing people like to know about is the outdoor set. Have you been back since everything's gone? Oh, sure. Many times. And yeah, is it, uh, can, can you still tell, can, uh, can you as someone who interacted with the buildings and stuff when they were still there, can you tell where you, where they were or is it just, <laughs> No, you can, you know, it, 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 in some cases it takes a few minutes to orient yourself because it's funny with there. You really have to place yourself, find, you have to look for one sort of common landmark uh, that you can remember. It probably, you know, it helps a little bit to have looked at a picture of the set before you go and look at the, you know, look at the, at the topography where it was all set. I mean, look, it's very easy to know where the little house was when you go to that part of the location. That's very simple. Um, the town, you know, going into Walnut Grove is a little more problematic because it was really totally erased. And what's sort of interesting is you do see still, last time I was there, there were still, you know, old nails on the ground and hinges and, you know, a lot. But there were certainly remnants of the blast that took place years and years before. I mean, there's there's stuff around. Definitely some stuff mm-hmm. around. So you know something happened there, um, and that's you know that's that's sort of interesting to place yourself back in that situation. Remember what it was like to be standing in that smoldering space uh, after it was all blown up and. You know, that was, uh, we'll all, all of us will always remember that. That was a hard day to uh, to see this place blown up and then to see it totally erased. It's just sort of surreal. Like, other than the little debris on the ground, it, it could never have been, might never have been there. You know, you just don't know. If you don't know what all that stuff is, you wouldn't know what it was because there's no two yeah. house that's visible. Yeah, it really it, it is hard when something is completely destroyed like that, and you just stare and go, you know, it, it, it's just your mind doesn't like to process it. So now, have you been there, Sarah? I'm sure you have. Oh no, actually, I haven't. Actually, what I always you say haven't. that if if I was going to California to do a Laura site, I'd be in Pomona looking at the collection of Wilder Anna at the public library. <laughs> There you go. But, okay. So, okay. But but I haven't I haven't made it out to the set. So, um, but uh, yeah, I know that even though it isn't a regular thing, there are definitely fans who've who've gotten to 
to go see it. But it really must be a, a cool thing because it's, I mean, it's basically the last of the movie ranches. And I just think it, it would be really cool to see it just for that alone. Well, you don't, you know, you don't realize until you, if, unless you're watching really closely movies and television, you don't realize to this day how they shot there. Um, commercials, television. Sometimes as you're watching things, a piece of will pop into view that suddenly you know exactly what you're looking at. But it's amazing, you know, of familiar buildings and or people or props or whatever. Um, you know, places can become places like uh, Big Sky Ranch can become any place, and that's sort of the magic of those places. And what's one of the great the, one of the great things about Big Sky is that that they do maintain this sort of clean palette with it. Once something is done shooting there, they take it away. And uh, so it can be a clean palette for the next production that goes there. And that's, that's a big part of what makes it such an incredible resource in Southern California, because you can really turn it into any place. And that's pretty great. And well, since, since we were talking about it, it's, uh, and I'm not sure if this is on the ranch. I think it is. There is that bridge, and it's a covered bridge with open sides. And it has been in absolutely everything. And I think that's on the ranch. It was in the Little House episodes. I think it was before you came on. They had that strange woman who I'm sure the fans, the, the TV fans would know exactly it's what her what, name is. Actually, what you're talking about there is the Disney ranch. And that oh, bridge that probably there? is still there. But that, okay. is the, but that is the Disney ranch which is in the same general area. It's sort of in the Santa Clarita area. It's probably, okay. you know, as the crow flies, it's probably 20 miles from, uh, from, okay. um, from big sky, but it's, I would imagine that bridge is probably still there. Well, it was in an episode of NCIS about three years ago. I always there think you it's go. funny. It's still there. It does. It shows up in absolutely everything <laughs> and covered yeah. bridges don't look like that. They have closed sides. So you always yeah, know it's, interesting. That, it's that particular bridge. Okay, well, we are yeah. running out of time here, but before we go, I wanted to make sure that we check in about your documentaries because uh, the other Laura connection, of course, is that you did a documentary about Farmer Boy and about Laura, and uh, do you want to give us just a little information about that and where they are available from? Well, I think, you know, basically they're um... – I know my my eBay store is on a hiatus, but you know, but basically, the Almanza doc is available at almost all of the Laura sites, um, and you can order any of the sites that have online stores. It can be ordered through there. It can also be downloaded and downloaded and rented through Amazon. You can purchase it down. You can also purchase it or rent it on iTunes. Um, so it's, you know, it's there in all those locations. And I'm, I'm stunned at Amazon, how many people download this thing every month. I mean, it's in the thousands of downloads, um, on, on Amazon that, uh, people download Elmanza Wilder Life Before War and watch it. So it's, it's pretty cool to know that it's, that it's uh, struck a nerve with a lot of viewers and, and, uh, you know, that's very satisfying. And then the Laura Ingalls Wilder, Lost in the Prairie, the legacy of Laura Ingalls Wilder, also available at all the, um, at all the book sites. And I don't know that, uh, I don't control the business of that property. So, um, 
I don't know if there is a download presence on it. I'm sorry that I can't confirm that for you, but, uh, but certainly all the Lower Ingalls Wilder sites that have, and that either in person or digitally, you can buy it and they'll mail it to you. Um, loved making both of them, uh, loved narrating both of them, directing them both. Um, you know, it's, it's something back to the property and hopefully something that's enjoyable to watch and so on. And then of course it was also involved of the documentary. That's part of the remastered little house series. My involvement there is just as a narrator, but uh, loved doing that. I mean, there's just been so much great stuff that's been done about little house. There really has. Yes. And, and as I always say about the TV show, it's, it's like what they say about the white album and man in black. It's always time to buy it in another format. (laughs) Yeah. As long as formats keep evolving, I think it'll continue to be there. And the remastered version of the program on Blu-ray and on DVD is, is just absolutely beautiful. It's never been more beautiful uh, than it is now. Um, just because the technology is much, it's remarkable what's been what's been achieved in terms of the visuals of the series and restoring all the original content uh, to the running times of all those episodes. It's uh, really satisfying. Well, uh, we I, I had originally thought this was going to be a half hour, and we've talked for forty five minutes, so we are actually out of streaming time. But uh, I want to thank you for coming on. If anybody wants to hear more from Dean, that we had done a previous episode, and you can also find that on uh, both the to stream on my website or on Blog Talk Radio, or you can download it for free as an MP3 from iTunes. And I hope that we'll have Dean back because it is always a good time to have you here. So thank you for coming on, Dean. Thank you, Sarah, and thank you for doing what you do to keep the Little House legacy alive. Well, that's certainly what is is the least that anybody who loves it can do. And I hope that I will see you in Dismet. I'll look forward to it. Okay. All right. So... Thank you to Dean and to everybody else. Remember to brighten the corner where you are. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.